0: Our top story this week is the report by the State Department's Inspector General on Hillary Clinton's email practices while she was Secretary of State. The IG concluded that Clinton's use of personal email was inappropriate both in terms of preservation of government records and, much more importantly, for the significant security risks it posed. Now, the report also concluded that Clinton not only never bothered to ask about email procedures, but when some State Department staffers raised the issue, they were warned never to speak of the Secretary's personal email system again. So, what did you think about that report, Jay?
1: Well, I, you know, it, the Inspector General's kind of calling it like he sees it. Um, and actually, we should we should post a link to the report on the Facebook page or something because I'm, I'm I'm a big believer in original documents and people being able to look at it and make up their own mind. Um, but but yes, I, I think this email thing is is a pretty big deal. Um, and you know, I, I know a lot of folks from the political aspect say it's not, and I've even agreed from a political aspect. It's it's probably not because it doesn't change what our supporters think. Um, but but if you step back and just just think about um, what she did and how sort of inexcusable it is for anybody who works in any sort of job with any sort of online security, um, that th- th- this is it's again it's it's sort of mind blowing. Yeah. Um. And I want to get your your sense on it because I I don't know whether you'd try to uh, uh, uh come to her defense on this, but well, one
0: of the you know, one of the defenses, many defenses that Hillary Clinton's people have trotted out, which is never a good sign when you have, you know, serial defenses. When one doesn't right. work, you try you another. Keep track
1: of the yoga classes and Chelsea's wedding, so you need a new server for that. But, but
0: so. I think the one of of all the of all the defenses I've heard, it would have been a pain to use two phones. One that just came out was uh, the secretary was not really comfortable using email on a desktop, but she could handle one account on a BlackBerry. But the one that really seemed to stick, that seemed Potentially, the most plausible, and this is one that Hillary Clinton likes in a lot of ways is that well, everyone else did it and the yeah. and the i g report actually took a look at that specifically. there was only one other person who sort of did that, and that was Colin Powell back when he was Secretary of State but The report basically said that that claim didn't really hold water for a a number of reasons. Uh, One of the reasons was that uh, Powell's administration at state actually did coordinate and check with the IT folks at state and they knew what was going on. And this was essentially a, uh, you know, an accepted thing, an understood thing, whereas Clinton's people never bothered to do that. Not only that, but the guidelines about what was acceptable and what was not also had changed, and and additionally, my understanding is that back when Powell, uh, back when Colin Powell was Secretary of State, you couldn't actually send State Department email on their server to outside uh, government. Addresses. It was automatically blocked. Exactly. And so they needed another address to do that. So for a host of reasons, this is just a, a defense that doesn't work at all. And, and, you know, you have to remember, this is an inspector general. They, of course, they're supposed to be neutral, but an inspector general from an administration, one would expect that if they were going to have any bias, certainly wouldn't be, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't be against Hillary Clinton. And so for a lot of reasons, I just think that, you know, it, it's pretty clear to me, at least, that what happened here. And I've said this from the beginning is that Hillary Clinton being paranoid as heck, being, I would say, and I've said it before, Nixonian in her view of the media and privacy and so forth, set this up shut everyone up, up who questioned it and hoped she'd never get caught. And she was, and now she's paying the price. And she, there's no good way out of it for her. And all she can hope is that the FBI, when they issue their report about whether or not there actually were security breaches, all she can hope is that she won't be indicted. I don't think she will be, but you know, she, she, made a, she took a gamble due to her, her paranoia. And that gamble, I think, failed, not disastrously, but it certainly failed for her.
1: I don't, I don't know if it's failed. It's failed yet. She may still well end up being the president. And uh, Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: so I mean, failed that.
1: in the so, sense that it makes that job a really little got bit harder. Away away with it. Um, you know, not to uh, not to pile on, but, you know, I've sort of held off talking about this for, for a while just because I wanted to wait till we had more facts out there. But, you know, for anyone, any of our listeners who work in any sort of job where there's sensitive information um, – you know, I, for one, look, I, I work in a law firm. Uh, we're not allowed to send anything uh, to a, a, you know, a, a, our our personal email to work on at home. Uh, we have a, a secure link that you link directly into the, the firm server. Um, at at a, a prior firm I worked at, uh, we had a system where uh, you had a, a, a key fob, that had a, a password code like 10-digit numerical that changed every minute. If you wanted to log into the server, you had to have your username, a password and then the special key fob password that changed uh, again every, every single minute. Um, and Attorneys go to uh, continuing legal education things on, on these kind of topics um, about cybersecurity, the risk of, of uh, malpractice. Uh, if, if uh, client files are vulnerable to some attack and, and again, Clinton is a lawyer, it's just baffling, uh, that she would see this as no problem because everyone else in the world would see this as a problem. If you have any, you know, and again, um, the, the jobs that I've held, where I'm talking about this kind of security, it's it's commercial litigation, and then yeah, there's some some uh, big money at stake sometimes, but it's certainly not national security, and I'm I, it's just again b- mind blowing that everyone in the private sector, uh, from from you know again small medium law firms, would say oh my god this is this is a, a huge risk, and then when you're talking about the sec the secretary of state uh, to do this uh, is, is really troubling. The other piece of it, you say she was motivated by paranoia. Um, you know, my, my sense is sort of the other, like, look, look, Mike, if you went to your wife and said, Hey honey, I think I need to set up a, a completely separate server, uh, for, you know, podcast stuff. Um, what would her, what would her reaction be?
0: Uh, she'd be very skeptical. I think yes. to, to say the least. Sure.
1: Yes. Uh, any, any, you know, I think just the idea that, that, uh, I need to have this somewhere else so that, that, you know, you can't see it. I mean, it, it, it's less paranoia and more of like, look, I'm, I'm doing something maybe I ought not to be doing.
0: Well, and it, and it- And I think it just plays into, regardless of whether she did anything that she shouldn't have been doing, I don't really think that's the case, but it plays into that whole thing that, that from the Clintons from way back that the rules apply to everyone but them, that they're in some special class. And the reason why they're in some special class is because they have our best interests at heart, and if we would just accept that and stop – with all these questions about their motives, then everything would be fine. And that's the sort of thing that even though on policy grounds, I agree with a lot of what Hillary Clinton says, that's the sort of thing that just leaves an awful taste in my mouth and always has.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it's not as if um, this is the first time Hillary has, has been uh, a, uh, a pattern, involved in, in, in A pattern conduction. of behavior as they say. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's, um, and it's the
0: one thing, I think, one of the biggest things that gives the, the Trump people hope, saying that, you know, that whole crooked Hillary thing, that's easy to hang on her. And yeah. she's done so much of the work for herself. And I, I expect in the general election campaign that is going to be used with to, to great effect by, by Donald Trump and his people.
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, the other piece of this is, uh, you know, how the media is going to, to play it. Um, you know, this this was not the IG report. Was not sort of reported as as you know bombshell news, um, and and maybe maybe it's not time to be reported as bombshell news. Maybe the bombshell news is when you get a report out of the Justice Department or something like that, a recommendation, uh, or if you have uh, you know what they called in the seventies a you know Saturday Night Massacre or, or of some sorts where you have resignations and which indicate that. Uh, which isn't going to happen here. I mean, it, I, um, you know, I, I'll I say no, no. It, I'll I, say I, it mean, right I'll, here. She will
0: not be indicted. It won't even come close to something. It's going to be inappropriate, stupid. Sure. But no, there's not going to be an indictment here. Uh, however much the, however much a lot of Republicans and even more fervently, however much some of the Bernie folks hope it, it's not going to happen.
1: And I, I will, I'd agree with you that there's probably not going to be indictment as certainly not before the election. Um, but but there may be, like I said, something uh, along the lines of a, a Saturday night massacre, um, where you see resignations from the Justice Department uh, on, on on the grounds of that there, there ought to be an indictment. I
0: don't um, think so. I, 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 but again, I, from the beginning, I've thought, I thought – here's where we disagree, I think. I thought that this was just horrifically poor judgment, but I don't think she's done anything uh, uh, patently illegal, and that's why I don't think there will be an indictment. So I I don't really uh, – you know, I don't really question that part of it. Though, of course, I am interested in seeing the FBI's report too. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe there is some kind of smoking gun that they'll find. We'll see. Yep. OK. OK. Yep. Um, Let's move on to the uh, week in Trump. Uh, As always, Donald Trump had an eventful week. There were a bunch of things that happened I want to mention and then get your uh, thoughts on them, Jay. Uh, On Tuesday... Uh, Donald went after the highest-ranking Latina in his own party. Not that, you know, the Republican Party is just uh, uh, <laughs> full of high-ranking Latinas, but this is New Mexico Governor Susana Martinez is saying he said that she was not doing her job. I think I even heard him say that he might have to run for governor of New Mexico at some point. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, prior to this, some people had actually suggested that Martinez might be a good running mate for him, given his, you know, not so great standing with women and minorities, though I think it's safe To say that's probably not going to happen now. And so then later in the week, right on Wednesday, Trump goes on Jimmy Kimmel Live, pretty much agrees to a debate with Bernie Sanders before the June 7th primary in California. Sanders presses the issue, and then Trump retracts, saying, well, you know, it would be inappropriate for me as the presumptive nominee of my party to debate the runner-up for the Democratic not nomination. going to
1: debate losers. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I like the use of the word inappropriate because, of course, <laughs> Donald Trump's so concerned with what's appropriate. Anyway, um, then on Thursday, of course, Donald Trump did become – Kind of the slightly more official nominee of the Republican Party, but not really. This was widely reported, but it's not actually the case. He still hasn't reached the magic number of 1237 delegates. The reason this was reported this way is that the Associated Press went out, talked to the unpledged delegates in the Republican Party, and there are some of them. and. They uh, understood or they, they were told that there were enough commitments to Trump for them that he will be over the top. But this won't be official until – well, really official until the convention in Cleveland, right? Right. And, and It will be
1: sort of more, more official at, at some point when he picks up uh, Yeah, California. after California. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And then also on Thursday, Trump gives this big speech before an oil industry conference in North Dakota where he promised to – and I'll try to get all the main promises in here – he promised to rescind Obama's climate change regulations, revive the Keystone XL pipeline, achieve okay. energy independence, increase that good. Yeah, well, yeah well we'll talk about that in a minute, increase natural gas production, bring back coal jobs jobs that have in large part been lost due to increased natural, <laughs> gas, natural production. gas production, <laughs> and uh, I think at some point uh, he one said he was going to give everyone a flying unicorn that poops salagol coins or something like that I don't know but uh, you know I. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot going on here in this speech, right? In terms of Trump's oil policy or energy policy, in a lot of ways, it's traditional Republican energy policy: take away regulations and allow for more drilling, fracking, that that and so forth, right? I mean, you'd agree that's pretty standard GOP no, I, I energy policy.
1: That, that was is the standard uh, Republican uh, position that yeah, we ought to have fewer barriers on exploration. Uh, and uh, and so forth.
0: The healthy um, environment, full speed ahead. That's how my, my that's folks right. would would characterize. Oh, I mean, it.
1: I also agree that look, let's let's um, I, you know. And I, look, I, I we can talk, and I can defend those things on the merits. Aside from Trump, sure. Uh, you know, the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, again, we're you know the Obama administration okayed building half a pipeline, um, which which is you know not not as all all that useful uh, it 's not half as useful as a full pipeline um, yes. but, uh, but no I, I think those are important things for energy independence uh, now the the promises of what 's going to happen uh, if you take those steps is something different altogether um, well, you know, I think go ahead you know, go go ahead no think
0: for in terms of energy independence, everyone assumes that this is some important some vitally important goal and I, I don't really get it. I think this is just sort of some uh, a hangover from the 1970s when everyone was concerned about the Arabs having all this oil, as the Archie Bunker types might put it. But energy independence isn't necessarily a good thing. In fact, most economists would say this is absolutely the wrong thing to go for. You buy a commodity from the place where it's cheapest. And if it's cheapest right. from us, that's great. If it's cheapest from somewhere else – that's where you buy it. But there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how world energy markets work from Donald Trump. And energy independence would cost us a lot of money without necessarily getting us anything. And, you know, we're, we're a lot closer to it now than we were in the past simply because of the great increase in fracking oh, for the large part. But it's not this big deal that a lot of people think it is. We're not independent in a lot of strategically important things, and no one seems to care about that. And I think, again, it goes back to the, the uh, Middle East oil embargoes in the 1970s. Yeah.
1: Well, you're, so, you're sort of right, sort of wrong. Um, and I do well, appreciate it. Right. It's kind of the Adam Smith kind of attitude of, yeah, if you can get it cheaper somewhere else, uh, that's certainly what you ought to do. I, I, I think there's there's always an interest, though, in something that is, is strategic as, as petroleum, as, as oil... Uh, that you have your own um, domestic capacity and and that's that 's less of a market question and to me more of a strategic uh, defense question uh it's it 's less relevant now than it was in the Cold War, you know when there was the sense of if if the Russians were to move into the Middle East and <clears throat> shut down the Strait of hormuz and and all that sort of stuff um, so it 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 doesn 't have the urgency that maybe it did okay. Uh, Twenty thirty years ago, but I think it's it's still a, a good idea always to i mean its it's okay. sort of the idea of look, it costs more for you to have a you know your own backup generator to to run your house in case the power goes out. Um, okay, I, I can but, accept
0: that, but then, then in that case, I think someone should be talking about what the cost of energy independence would be. Economists use this term opportunity cost. Let's say energy sure. independence cost us, you know, costs us twenty billion dollars. Well, what else could we have done with that twenty billion dollars that might have actually made us more secure than investing in complete energy independence? And those are the sort of discussions that you just don't really ever hear. And I think they're important discussions to have.
1: Right. No, and, and that's again, that's right. There's a cost to it, and you sort of, you know, bill it as, look, this is this is part of, if you want to call it, you know, defense costs, uh, strategic interest cost, or or, you know, whatever. But but yeah, there's a price to be paid, um, and and maybe you pay that price by saying, okay, we're going to have more ships to make sure that these these channels stay open. Exactly. Um, uh, and- you know, it, that's. That's just sort of the decision to make. But you're 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 also right on the the idea of, of Trump just not understanding the market. Because here's here's the the thing, and you know presidents often get blamed or get credit for the price of gas. And I'll say yes, there are things that a president can do and, and that that affect it. But it's also part of a, a much much bigger picture, and there are many many other levers out there going up and down, right? Uh, that affect these 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 uh, uh prices um, you know for example foreign demand we 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 were in such a sort of a privileged situation back in the 90s uh, because there was the the Asian recession that continued through most of the 1990s that really sort of sort of kept inflation especially among commodities uh, like uh, like oil uh, from from skyrocketing and and our economy was able to sort of take off without having that inflationary uh, pull against it um, you know by the same token there there are other factors such as uh, refining uh, capacity and um, you know those those sort of things so it's not it's it's supply and demand certainly and and I think you know you you can do whatever you think yeah. you can to to do take care of supply in this country and Um, there's other things that happen yeah and
0: and on that point the whole idea that coal jobs are going to be coming back in any major way is that that's just not the case you can't have i mean natural gas is in a lot of ways right now a lot cheaper than increasing coal production because of the you know fracking boom and so forth so the idea that you can you can increase natural gas production and bring back a significant number of coal jobs that that just doesn't make a lot of sense but again you know, Trump's not the sort of person who talks in terms of the uh, policy details and so forth. I don't necessarily buy the argument that he doesn't understand this or accept this. I just think he doesn't care.
1: I, no, I think you're right. I, I think having been in business and, and uh, as he has, he certainly gets uh, – he gets markets um, and and I, I think he understands the complexities there Um from from a from as far as bringing coal jobs back, look, I think there are some things uh that you can do to not drive coal jobs away. Um you know, I mean Hillary Clinton I mean famously uh said she she was going to put them put them out of business. Yes. Um you know, so so you can you can make sure you're not taking affirmative steps to destroy an industry. Uh I think it would or, I, go, ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say you're gonna say, I mean, but but as you as you mentioned, um Saying that you want to expand uh, uh, capacity for the, the major competitor to coal, I mean you're, you're you're sort of doing that in, in a different way than what uh, Clinton would. But um, I, you know, I don't I don't want to say there aren't things that that presidents uh, can do in terms of. Um, you know, creating or destroying uh, coal jobs there are, but again, the most conservative position is typically just just get out of the way
0: yeah well my my goal would be actually to destroy coal jobs. I agree with Hillary Clinton on that, but I also want to have other Your, jobs for those folks to have
1: West Virginia well yeah exactly yes, but yeah.
0: but I mean and that's the thing it's a it's a dirty, dangerous job, and it's a dirty fuel i mean there are a lot of fuels like natural gas that are a lot cleaner uh you know, and so ideally we gradually transition to that so long as the true, costs, uh, the true costs of coal are built into the price. And that's, what's, right. that's what regulation does. There's a reason why coal costs as much as it does. Part of it, sure, is safety regulations because it's dangerous. We want to make sure that you know, miners are taken care of and that you know, they don't, they're, they're not dying in accidents all the time. Inspections and so forth, that, that costs money. And that, of course, is going to affect the bottom line. And I think that's a good thing.
1: Okay, no, I, I get what you're coming from. further. yeah, and and look, I'm a I'm a free market guy. So, um, if it's if it's a uh, easier, cheaper, better way to uh, to produce energy is is whether it's natural gas, whether it's coal, whether it's uh, wind or solar, uh, you know, I, I would think the conservative position ought to be. And again, this is I- ideally, and this doesn't really happen in the real wo- world for a thousand different reasons. But ought to be look. Let these folks go out there and compete, and whoever can build the best mousetrap, then let's let's go with that. And um, as a,
0: as, and as a general rule, I absolutely agree with that. You know, I think we we tend to be see that the same way. We just probably tend to disagree in terms of the role of the federal government in sort of setting the ground rules and so forth, and and ensuring or taking care of what economists call externalities. Right. But uh, but anyway. Um, any thoughts on the debate that didn't happen between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, or that won't be? Well, happening?
1: it would have it would have been like the most fun ever. It really would have, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing is people are just missing out on the entertainment value. Um, you know, it, it might have been, you know, interesting from a, a sense of, and maybe interesting just because this is the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm a geek and get into. But you know, a philosophical debate, and and you know. Sanders is up there saying, Hey, I'm a socialist and uh Trump has sort of portrayed himself as as sort of the Uber capitalist. Um you know, let's let's have it out. Let's uh now now again, I, I don't I don't believe Trump is particularly well equipped to to be the uh uh the champion of, of that position. I was but, just
0: thinking that the words philosophical debate and Donald Trump don't really well, go together too well in my mind, but, uh, but, but I get your
1: point. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea could have been uh, look, here, here's, here are two different views and yeah. uh, it'll be the opportunity to, to raise those views. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, like you said, it, it most likely would have been just a kind of a glorious train wreck. Um, uh, and yeah. and mostly all to the detriment of Hillary Clinton, I'd imagine. Yeah, so exactly. Exactly. It would have been fun, though. Oh,
0: definitely. You know, before we get to our next story, I'm going like to take a minute to thank our new supporters from this week. Uh, first right. off, we've got Jordan from San Mateo, California. All right, hey Jordan. Yeah, and uh, of course, as as you as you may or may not know, San Mateo is the birthplace of one of my all time favorite TV presidents, Dennis Haysbert. 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 The president from right. 24. He was. He had okay. a lot of gravitas, you know. I right. mean, oh, he right did. up there with he that did. kind of Morgan Freeman level gravitas. And I love his Allstate I, commercials I, yeah, too. I, know,
1: I only watched like the first season of Twenty Four just because it was just like too intense then for oh, me to. Well, like, oh, well, great.
0: Anyway, Sam Mateo, uh, thank you very much, Jordan. We definitely appreciate your support. Uh, also, thank you to Catherine from Boston. Catherine has joined our exclusive platinum-level supporters group. And Thank the, you so
1: much, Catherine.
0: A, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, on the card – She also wrote us a really nice note. Yeah, it had a cool drawing of Boston's Old North Church on it, and, and part of the note I just wanted to read, she wrote, I'm glad slashed relieved slash grateful that it's possible for political discussion to be had in a way that is respectful and genuinely interested in another viewpoint, which I thought was really nice. Um, I also wanted to mention that the card Catherine sent us was an old school paper card sent through the old school U.S. Postal Service. And a while back on our Facebook page, Catherine said she'd love to support the show, but she preferred to write a check instead of going through PayPal or Patreon. Um, we don't list our mailing address anywhere, but if, like Catherine, you want to support the show but you'd rather write a check, you can just email us at politicsguys@gmail.com, at and we'll be more than happy to respond uh, with our with our mailing address for that. So. Thank you very much, Catherine and Jordan, from this week. OK, um, moving on. Uh, you know, with so much media focusing on the presidential election, it's easy to forget that we have an actual president right now who's, you know, doing stuff. Um, this week, of course, the stuff that President Obama did was in Asia, specifically Vietnam and Japan. Did,
1: did he pivot to Asia?
0: Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Asia pivoting, pivot talks there, Lena. In Vietnam, right, he announced, the big thing was he announced the lifting of the longstanding U.S. arms embargo, which frees Vietnam to, to buy U.S. military equipment. Vietnam actually has a pretty sizable military, the 10th largest in the world. Uh, and in return, the U.S. is likely to, uh, before too long, have access to Vietnam's Cam Ranh Bay, which is a really important deepwater port in Southeast Asia. Now, in Japan, President Obama visited Hiroshima, which, of course, is the site of the first wartime nuclear weapons detonation. He declined to apologize for dropping the nuclear bomb. Despite what some Facebook memes said, he did not apologize. Uh, And in his remarks, in fact, he even pointed out more or less, hey, you guys started it. Uh, essentially, uh, and he also used the opportunity to call for a reduction in nuclear weapons, which is a hugely important issue, especially in that region, which, when you have North Korea frantically attempting to develop bigger and better nuclear weapons, along with the means to deploy them more accurately and over a, a much longer range. So, um, well, I, I
1: mean, to, to me, that's not the reason to call for the reduction in nuclear weapons. The idea that North Korea is is building them. Um, uh, you know, I think that's that's sort of exactly the wrong message you ought to take away. Well, I think
0: certainly uh, we want we want North Korea to have fewer nuclear weapons, and good luck with right, that.
1: Right, but my my sense is Kim Jong Un is is less, you know, not terribly likely to to listen to Obama.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And in fact, you know, it's it's an interesting. A report came out this week that actually reduction of our U.S. nuclear arsenal has actually slowed under Obama as compared to the last few presidents. So uh, now there are some various reasons for that and so forth. I'm sure the administration would be glad to sort of trot them out. But uh, yeah, so it kind of the, – the rhetoric and the reality are a little bit at odds uh, at odds in that case. But I think we would all love a world without nuclear weapons or at least if the U.S. had nuclear weapons and, and you know I think the, the U.K. Want, could we want have a nuclear world weapons. The bad guys don't have nuclear weapons. Yeah, the people. Oh, yeah. The people who agree with us could have nuclear weapons. Yeah, you know, exactly. So – but let's talk a little bit more about – or I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Vietnam thing, which I think is a a pretty big deal. You mentioned the pivot to Asia. Uh, The Obama administration for a while now has pretty clearly indicated that – at least I think – that we focus too many of our resources in the Middle East – and not nearly enough in Asia, which is kind of the future uh for, for a lot of reasons, people would argue. And you know, China has become hugely aggressive in in Asia. In fact, to the point where they've really started to alienate some of their traditional allies, like Vietnam. And basically taking the the South China Sea as essentially their their little pond and everyone else who doesn't like it well that's too bad and so i think that's definitely a big part of what president obama is doing in vietnam is basically trying to win over a lot of these asian countries who are really scared about chinese influence and want sort of a counter a counterbalance there you know and we've seen that as well with the trans-pacific partnership pact which you know notedly did not include china right so ways to just kind of offer these folks another option to balance out the threat of Chinese domination in the region which I think they have good reason to be concerned about
1: I I, I think that's right um, you know and I, I would applaud the administration to the extent that you know look if if we can make clear that we are making commitment to our allies in Asia to South Korea to Japan uh, uh, to you know to to ex- expanding relationships with uh, with Vietnam you um, I think that's that's really good and helpful and the right thing to do. Uh, my concern, as with a lot of Obama things, is is he will he will promise big uh, and then then not deliver and and uh, you know can these these allies really count on us? Uh, I, I I would hope that they can because that's you know really in a lot of these these international dealings that's that's the the key is 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 the follow through. I mean. Yeah. The, I guess the the counter example I would use would be the disastrous situation in syria yeah. where we drew a red line and he crossed it and sure and uh we did we did nothing so i think that's if you're going to promise uh that you're going to be there then uh you got to make sure that yeah. you really back that up
0: well and before too long of course this won't be president obama's problem anymore right and, and it's right. And someone else is going to have to you know deal with it but i think what a lot of people a lot of people but this is
1: this is bigger than obama yeah you know when we're talking about this kind of thing we're, we're talking about world order type stuff yeah. and yeah this is i i think any republican president well i shouldn't say any republican president uh yeah i know where you're you going know. with that yeah uh-huh. yeah but I, I would say you know typically the idea is that they they would still have to deal with this this issue and i would sense that their uh response would be would be pretty similar would be to shore up our allies uh would be to seek um uh further trade and uh create new allies or at least maybe pull a couple away from the uh a little a little less tightly from the Chinese orbit,
0: and and that's what Donald Trump pretends not to get, or maybe he actually doesn't get it. I don't know. But that idea that everything is strictly a uh, win lose economic arrangement is just simply not the case. You build up, you build up relationships, you build up allies with things like trade agreements, and this is why I'm so disappointed in Hillary. Uh, disappointed? I'm not really disappointed. I'm not surprised. I guess Hillary Clinton, who was for the TPP before she was against it she totally understands the strategic importance of binding us together with those countries in Asia through trade agreements. One of the best ways to get good, strong allies. And so
1: her... Right. You, her you don't go to war with people you're trading.
0: Exactly. And so that I just find that reprehensible in Hillary Clinton. Maybe Donald Trump doesn't know better. I, I mean, obviously he doesn't have any experience in these things. Hillary Clinton absolutely does and she's totally pandering on this issue and uh, my only my only thing I can say is that, well, at least. I know that once she's once she's president, she won't actually follow through on that plan. <laughs> you, know you know, she's lying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, but but anyway, so let's just hope that that you know that bears bears some fruit because that is a that is an area of deep concern. A lot of folks don't really appreciate. When, when, I think when people think about Vietnam, especially, they think, oh yeah, they're good buddies with China, but actually, if you look at the history. Vietnam's hated China for a long, long time. You know, they have all these great wartime military heroes who defeated the Chinese invaders and so forth. And a lot of the folks in Vietnam really, really don't like China at all. You know, we we tend to think of it in terms of the war, but about half the population in Vietnam right now is under 30. They don't know anything. I mean, they don't remember the war or anything like that. So, you know, and China has been very aggressive. A couple years ago, they put this big deep sea drilling rig right off the Vietnamese coast, just basically saying, hey, what are you going to do about it? You know, so yeah. I, we really have some opportunities here because I really think that China has kind of overplayed its hand a little bit.
1: Well, let me. Let, you know, I want to steer steer back to just something on, on Japan and the Hiroshima uh, thing because I think, I mean, when you when you say Obama um, uh, didn't apologize, I, that's that's correct. Uh, he didn't say we're sorry, and, and nor nor should he have. Um, but what he did do, you, you know, that it troubles conservatives to the extent of when you go to Hiroshima and, and you talk about. Um, getting rid of nuclear weapons and the, the horrors of uh, a nuclear war and there's there's almost you know sort of an implicit i don't know if apology is the right, right word but implicit acknowledgement well, of of guilt what are you going to uh, talk about tax policy i mean come on well maybe you don't go maybe you go other places than than hiroshima uh I think that's you know there there are plenty of other places in in uh, Japan you can go and speak but but that that place has a a, a particular and and singular uh, meaning and significance in sure. world history. I mean, if if you say the word Hiroshima, there is one and only one thing that that comes to your mind. Um, so so to say that like he's there and while he's he wasn't really talking about uh, this you know and any particular atomic attack uh, that. Uh, uh, and we should, we should because this is just one of these weird, weird things that I, I like to. It was it was an atomic bomb, not a nuclear bomb, of course that we dropped on on Hiroshima. Uh, nuclear bombs being you know magnitudes of of uh, destruction, much greater than that. Um, but you know, I think the message is is there, uh, and you know, I, if if I were him, I think you you could have picked a different place to go. Uh, different, uh, different stuff to, to talk about. You could have visit visited, uh, um, uh, you know, factories and places that are buying American goods. Uh, say, look, here are the stuff we make. We we build from America. I mean, that, it just could have a lot of other things. And uh, to many conservatives, uh, me included. You know what struck me as part of what's been dubbed sort of the the world apology to oh jeez.
0: yeah you know I, so. I don't know he, he the man not only doesn't apologize but he actually says you guys started it uh, and, and if that's not enough you know, it's, well, know it's, you you're looking you for reasons
1: it. to I don't know if you guys started it it was uh, it was pretty to close me, to the, that the the statement it came off as more of a you know mistakes were made kind of thing no,
0: I mean he mentioned Japanese aggression being the you know being the uh, the, the beginning and so forth. So I, have, I understand what you're saying. I get that whole conservative argument, and in some cases, mm-hmm. I agree with it. But I think at some point, conservatives are just you know cherry picking, looking for reasons to to dislike President Obama. I've never been a huge proponent of his foreign policy. I think he's made many, many mistakes. But I think a lot of folks on the right just go too far in those critiques.
1: Anyway, well, l- let me let me just add one other piece again. I think there's something always something to be said for reconciliation with um, uh, with with countries uh, we've been at war at especially when generations uh, have gone by and you can think back to the, the controversial um, uh, Reagan appearances in Germany um, you know which which is sort of the same thing so there I'm, I'm not I'm not cherry-picking I'm you know I'm saying look the other side has, has done it too Um but but you can you can do that in such a way in that there was sort of a, a mutual reconciliation and you know maybe there will be maybe there will be visits by um, uh, you know Japanese uh, Prime Minister to Pearl Harbor uh, to say you know listen we uh, you know and again without mentioning specifics can talk about just the horrors of war and uh, isn't it better that uh, that we're trading partners and not at war with one another sure I, you know, so look I'm 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 not. I'm not going to go all you know conservative meme sort of stuff uh, on Obama f- for this, but uh, again, to me, the optics of it being at Hir- Hiroshima. Um,
0: no, to be uh, fair, I, I, think, I, you know, I see think your it point. Just sends. I yeah. think that
1: it, it sends one and only message, and and that is the "woo-woo." We're sorry, so.
0: Well, you know, we're, we're sorry we we're sorry we were forced into doing that, but it was a decision oh. that probably in the end saved actually a lot of lives, both American lives certainly and Japanese Agreed. lives. You know, there's a strong possibilities. So anyway,
1: um, yeah, and also I think Obama could have could have pointed out in a lot of ways that you know so many of the Japanese who who were were killed uh, were essentially victims of their own government.
0: Yeah. Absolutely of the
1: own, of the imperialist policies that pushed them into this and forced them into war, and I'm sure many of the soldiers who fought didn't necessarily want to, um, but uh, that's that's uh, the the reality that was was put in front of them. So. It was
0: a horrible thing. Uh, no one questions that. But an invasion of uh, the home islands of Japan would have almost certainly been even more horrible. Absolutely. And thankfully, yeah. that didn't have to happen. Okay. Um, Well, one final story I wanted to mention with the holiday weekend upon us, uh, everyone's second least favorite federal government agency made it into the news. Uh, Transportation Security Administration head Peter Neffinger testified before the House Homeland Security Committee on Wednesday and said that his agency faced some challenges this summer, Uh, specifically keeping security lines from being ridiculously long while still ensuring passenger safety. I should mention that since 2013, TSA has cut 2,100 airport screeners, and this is during a time when airport passenger traffic increased by 15%. And the day after his testimony, the committee announced legislation that would require the TSA to reorganize its bureaucracy, assign other agency personnel to be screeners, and make a number of other changes that would basically increase the number of screeners without an increase in the agency's budget, which has been slashed repeatedly in the last several years. So um, what do you think, Jay? Do you expect to see shorter lines this summer for, for
1: at the airport? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, You know, I'll tell you, typically, again, when I'm flying out of Cleveland, Cleveland usually is is pretty easy to get in and out of. Um, So often it it just depends on the city and the day you you hit stuff. Um, But, uh, you know, there, I think agencies can take a a different approach as to uh, it's either slow lines or just give us more money. Uh, I, I think there are you know, our, so many of our airports were were built and configured for a, a different vo- <clears throat> volume of passengers and sure. in a time when so security concerns weren't what they are now. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so maybe you know, rather than just saying it's the this sort of binary uh, long lines or give us more money, uh, we can maybe look at you know if it's more money, uh, how do you do something sort of yeah. better and smarter?
0: And there's no question uh, that the TSA. Of
1: people who get who get pre cleared and so forth. Uh, to make it easier, you know, maybe you could expand that, make that process uh, uh, easier, so that uh, you you cut down on uh, on the lines.
0: Yeah, well, I think there are a couple of points I I want to make. Number one, there's no question that the TSA is a is a deeply dysfunctional agency. I mean, people on the left and the right agree about that. But there are a couple other things to point out. Uh, Number one is that pre-check you mentioned. Uh, When the TSA started cutting its number of screeners, what they thought was going to happen when they introduced pre-check was that a lot of people would, a lot more people than they actually signed up would sign up for it. Now it costs like 85 bucks, I believe is what it costs now. And they thought that would be, that would relieve a lot of the strain, but it turns out the numbers weren't what they expected. And a lot of times those pre-check lines are, are essentially vacant in, in many instances, so that mm-hmm. that was a huge part of the problem. Another part of the problem, though, is a, a budget deal in uh, 2013. I believe it was a few years ago. There was a budget deal. The 2013 budget deal. Uh, part of that deal, something buried in the fine print, was uh, it set a security free a security fee. Sorry, for each segment of a trip at five dollars and sixty cents, but it called for sixty cents of that to be diverted not from away from the TSA and to pay down the national debt. Now, that 60 cents, that doesn't sound like a lot, but what that meant is uh, around uh, $1.25 billion less this year for screeners and new equipment for the TSA. So that, that's a big deal. There are a lot of things going on. I'd say you have, a, you have a badly organized agency who made a bad call on the popularity of a program, and that's underfunded. So, I think all three of those things contribute to the problem, really.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm just doing the math here on the that's probably so 10 percent of that uh, uh, sense of national debt reduction, um, which I'm which I'm for. But no, look, you're you're right, and I think if if the um, you know this is again the market will work uh, essentially when people start hearing or experience these horrible lines, and then they may say, yeah, well, it's maybe it's worth the 85 bucks to go get the uh, pre clearance. Uh, probably a lot of people who don't travel often probably figure it, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just a matter of that. Now maybe again, if you want to talk about creative things to do, you could take that money and reduce the price of the pre-check clearance. Um, if it was down to you know fifty bucks, twenty bucks, would would people? Sign up more. Sure. Um, would that uh, save you the? And, and again, subsidizing something like that is is always going to be cheaper uh, than than more people and more benefits and and uh, so forth. So
0: well, if you want to get yeah. into real creative solutions, and some conservatives arguing for this is that they they would like to see uh, more uh, subcontracting, you know, more outsourcing. Of this now, there's a way that this can be done right now in kind of a very limited way, but there are a lot of barriers to that sort of thing. Uh, and from the beginning, a lot of Republicans didn't like the idea of TSA because it created this large new government bureaucracy with thousands of uh, unionized workers. You
1: know, and there's there's the big word right there. Yeah, and absolutely. if you remember, that was sort of the uh, back after nine nine eleven. We had this huge moment of national unity. Uh, where where everybody was pulling in the same direction, and everyone was for a, 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 a home homeland security uh, uh, you know body and, and uh, tSA as part of it, and that 's when the split first started to happen was when it came up the question of of whether they would be unionized or non unionized yeah.
0: well, I think there 's a way to design some pilot programs that would allow contractors to come in and try things with at first at least a lot of oversight. You know, that you wouldn't necessarily build to those contractors to get a sense of whether or not, you know, uh, something something like that could work and could get, you know, solve the problem at least a little bit. And I, I'd be certainly all for that. But I, I think that there are just so many barriers to that sort of thing happening. I don't see it really uh, happening anytime soon. Of course, another related question is how effective is TSA or is any kind of airport security that we have now? And there were some reports saying that essentially it's only effective against the dumbest of terrorists, that anyone who has any sort of intelligence can get all kinds of da- very dangerous stuff through, and that's you know they call it security theater. Essentially, how are we paying you know tens of billions of dollars for security theater? A lot of people would say we absolutely are, and that's a big problem.
1: Well, and and we had talked about this a couple months back. Uh, the TSA had done reports of of you know how how many people get through and. It, it's it's staggering. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not very secure at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. We're paying a whole lot for something that isn't terribly effective. Um, and again, my my uh, conservative soul uh, would would you know sort of scream that the last thing you need is just to hire more more unionized uh, government sure. workers. And, and you know what what you ought to do is is take a step back and and uh, do some. Thinking as to the best way to do this, and again, things like incentivizing the uh, the pre-pass, uh, things like maybe redesigning how you how you work security in airports. Yeah, uh, I think there are some options, and and. You I'm know, a little. Look, this is one of these things that eventually it's it's going to get it work itself out.
0: One would hope. You know, I, I'm a little. I mean, I mentioned the idea of, of of outsourcing. I'm a little uncomfortable about that. Whenever anyone talks about outsourcing security stuff, that you sure. know that that makes me more than a little bit uncomfortable. But I can certainly understand where uh, free market advocates are coming from. If it weren't a security thing, I think I'd probably be a big fan of that. But given the nature of what we're talking about, I'd be fairly cautious about
1: that sort of thing. You you know something. I'm, I probably depart from some of my uh, conservative brethren on this, but uh, and I know we're we're getting late on time, but I think that's something that important just to, to think about is to a lot of conservatives there are certain core functions that a, a government ought to do security. Uh, that yeah. ought to be the government jobs, and security is is one of them. That's
0: probably the main uh, one. I mean, you know, that's yeah. Kinda... So
1: I, I'm I, again, I would be skeptical of of outsourcing. Now, again, there's different types of outsourcing and different types of 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 you know, breakdown of the jobs within TSA, and and maybe some might be uh, easy to outsource, some might uh, not be. But I, I think the the final accountability needs to to be with uh, with well, the government agency, and that.
0: not only that, but there are actually ways to com- to create a competitive environment within. A government agency that's not something we talk about a whole lot it's not something i think that's been investigated nearly enough but that that's another possibility but anyway uh you so said we are running a little uh, short or long on time i guess so i think uh we'll end things here for
1: today uh thanks everyone well, well, we oh. we should say though that uh, memorial day weekend um yep. uh just make a statement we talked about uh hiroshima and so forth but uh you know really what what we do here um uh, is is really a gift from a lot of people who who uh, gave their lives in, in generations past? Absolutely. Um, that that uh, you're able to have like two guys just kind of talk about all this stuff and and make it public and uh, the freedoms know, without, we take for fear, granted, yeah. without fear of uh, uh, official recrimination. Absolutely. We get plenty of private recrimination. Yeah, definitely reprisals. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think that's that's you know right or left. Uh, everybody take a minute this weekend. Uh, uh, to remember those who uh, who gave their all for uh, for what we have.
0: That's right. Okay. Um, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for Ask the Politics Guys, which, as you know probably by now, comes out every Wednesday, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at politicsguys at gmail.com or get in touch with us on our Facebook page where G and I post stuff throughout the week, and that's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're one of our many iTunes li- listeners, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show, write a quick review. It won't take much longer than that. Uh, and finally, if you like what we're doing, want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a buck or two, the price of a My Little Pony Cutie Mark Magic Fluttershy figure, I don't know what that is, would really help. I think, I think we may have one of those, actually. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Uh, you'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.